Happy New Year, everybody. We started uh, the new year with an initiative called 21 Days of Prayer uh, because it just seemed like the right thing to do at the start of a new year to spend some focused energy on prayer. Uh, that, that'd be a good idea any New Year season, but it seemed especially so in this New Year season. Now, maybe you missed the start of the 21 days. A lot of people couldn't be here last Sunday. Maybe you missed it because of a snowstorm, or maybe you were traveling, or maybe just, you just got a slow start to your year. And if you missed the start of the 21 days of prayer, I want to invite you to 14 days of prayer. Just uh, really just pick up today and go the next two weeks with us. And like Terrence told us last week, you can find details about this online. But, um, but you can pick up a 21-day prayer guide, a paper copy at the kiosks this morning. But you can go where you always go, ward.church slash newsfeed, and download a 21-day prayer guide. Also kind of a cool thing, you can text 21 days to this number, 248-965-4776, and you'll get a daily prompt uh, a link to the prayer. Same material served up differently daily versus seeing all 21 days in one shot. And then step three, uh, choose one of the fasting options. And there's information on the web that teaches a little bit about fasting. We think of fasting as being food, and it might be, but it could be social media or part of social media. I saw last Sunday a church member posted on her Facebook page, um, Dear Facebook friends, I am taking 21 days off Facebook. Uh, and you might want to consider something like that uh, as well. And the sermon series that wraps around the 21 days of prayer is called The Art of Desperation. And I want to give credit where credit is due and let you know that the idea for the series, the outline for the series, and the title of the series all came from my younger associate, Terrence Gray. Honestly, I don't know that I would have had the idea to come up with a series with the word desperation in the title. It's not my style. Um, I think the word desperation is too you know, uh, desperate. I'm an optimist. Uh, I prefer words like promise and hope and joy and victory. But what Terrence and other wise people in spiritual life are reminding me is that we are desperate for God. We just are. It's not a question of are you desperate or not desperate. We are desperate. It's just a true statement. And over these last two years, some of us have become more aware of our desperation. And that may be the hidden gift of these last two years because desperation can lead to some really good things. Desperation can be a good reality check. Desperation can lead uh, to greater humility. It can lead to more focused energy in prayer. Right? Be, be honest. How many of you, you know, do, do you pray more when you're feeling desperate or when you're not feeling desperate? Right? We pray when we're desperate. Uh, desperation can lead to creativity and innovation. One of my favorite desperate stories from the New Testament uh, is about Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And the story is found in Luke chapter 5. You can read the story on your own later, but let me, uh, please allow me to summarize the story. Uh, some men brought a paralyzed man to Jesus on a mat. We do not know a lot about the man. We don't know a lot about the people who carried him that day. Uh, we don't know, were, were they followers of Jesus in a committed way? Had they just heard 
that Jesus was a great miracle worker, the one thing we do know about them is they were desperate for their friend. You may have a friend or a family member that you don't know how to help, and you've wondered, if, if, if I could just get them to Jesus, Jesus would know what to do. Jesus could help them. And that was these guys. From their point of view, Jesus was their friend's last hope. And so they say to their friend, look, you're going to see Jesus. We're taking you. We're going to pick you up at seven. And when they say to their paralyzed friend, pick you up at seven, they literally mean we're going to pick you up at seven. They, they literally pick him up and carry him to Jesus. It's preposterous. And a lot of you know the story. They get to the house where Jesus is teaching and the place is packed and there's people inside and people around. They can't get close to the house. They can't even see Jesus through the window. And at that point, I would have been tempted to give up. Just, hey, we gave it a shot. It must not be God's will for us to see Jesus today. But uh, their desperation drove creativity. And one of the guys says, all right, here's an idea. Let's go up on the rooftop. We'll carry our friend on the rooftop. We'll, we'll, we'll tear away a hole in the roof and we'll lower him down on ropes in front of Jesus. Now, in a non-desperate time, those guys would have said, that's a terrible idea. Uh, it's, it's rude, it's illegal, it's dangerous. But somehow, in a desperate moment, these guys go, okay. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And they climb up on the roof and begin digging a hole in the roof. Now imagine what the people inside are thinking. They're listening to Jesus teach and they hear scraping noise and little drops of plaster falling from the ceiling and the homeowner uh, is looking up going, hey, that's my roof. And he's wondering, does my homeowner's insurance uh, cover this? And uh, because Jesus is here, could that be considered an act of God? You know, what's my, <laughs> what's the State Farm guy going to say about, about that? And... Uh, the guys on the roof were not concerned about the cost or vandalism charges or etiquette or public opinion. The only thing they cared about in that desperate moment was their friend. The only thing they cared about in that desperate moment was getting their friend to Jesus. And I have had people do that for me. There have been those moments in my life when my friends, my colleagues, my small group members have lifted me up and carried me into the presence of Jesus. And when they encountered obstacles, they did not turn away or back down, they pushed through. There have been other times in my life where it's been my privilege to be one of those people carrying somebody else to Jesus. Sometimes it's been a friend who's running low on their own faith because of a difficult season of life that they've been through. And a group of friends comes around them and says, we will carry you right now. Sometimes we are the ones who need to be lifted, and sometimes we are the ones who lift. Sometimes we are the ones who want to give up, and sometimes we are the ones who want to climb up. Sometimes we are the ones who lack faith, and sometimes we are the ones who lend faith. And that story in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, 20, says, when Jesus saw the faith of his friends, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And then comes this powerful moment where these legs that have never walked before gain strength, and the man stands to his feet and walks away praising God. He's a new man, body, mind, and spirit. What are you desperate for? 
Desperate times call for desperate prayers. What, what's, what's that one thing that you are most desperate for God to do right now? And I'm going to ask you to make that your prayer focus this week. Use the 21 days of prayer guide. Use the 21 day guide. But find that one desperate prayer that you're going to petition God for repeatedly this week. What's your one thing? Do you know? Maybe it's something for yourself. Maybe like that man on a mat, something has paralyzed you. Might be disease, might be fear, might be trauma, might be depression. Maybe your desperate prayer is for your marriage or for your career. Maybe your desperate prayer isn't for you at all, but it's for somebody else. You're the one carrying your friend, your coworker, your child, your spouse to the presence of Jesus. And you're ready right now to crash through some roofs. You're desperate enough right now that you don't care what other people think and you will not climb down or back away. You're desperate for this. And that's the prayer focus this week. Everybody understand the assignment? Find that one thing that you are desperate for God to do and offer desperate, fervent prayers every day this week and let's see what God does. Crash through some roofs. This week. Now, in the time that remains, I'd like to walk us through one of the great desperate prayers of the Old Testament and, and use this prayer as a model for our prayer. In biblical terms, these desperate prayers are referred to as lament. Lament is a cry out of sorrow. It's an expression of sorrow. It's to, to cry out in desperation. And there are a lot of examples of these kind of prayers in the Bible. We have a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And many of the psalms in the Bible are, fall into a category called psalms of lament. I want to give you a few uh, quick examples of a psalm of lament. This is Psalm 13. One opens this way. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Right, a psalm of lament is so honest, so raw. Part of this seems almost inappropriate to challenge God in this way. And it's usually after a long delay. How long, O Lord? Uh, now, of course, Jesus himself quoted one of the Psalms of Lament from the cross. He quoted Psalm 22. Starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the line quoted by Jesus from the cross. The psalm goes on. The next line says, Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Now, many of the psalms of lament resolve. That is, they start with desperation and anguish and, and, and thirst and, and, and despair, but they turn and become confident and hope-filled and worship-filled. There's a resolve. Not all the psalms of lament resolve. Psalm 88, the final line is this. Darkness is my closest friend. The end. Only darkness, no light start to finish. Now, why do people find the Psalms so comforting and healing when they're in times of trouble? Even Psalms that do not resolve. I think it's because we see our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts in words. Words that we have not been brave enough to utter 
or words that we thought improper. And seeing our thoughts expressed by people of faith is healing, even when no answers are offered. So we're going to walk through this morning Psalm 42, one of the great psalms of lament. It begins in your Bibles, you'll see a little inscription in the front line. It says, for the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah. Maskil is a Hebrew word. Uh, we don't know what this word means. That's why the translators left it in Hebrew. Uh, we don't know what this word means. It's probably a musical inscription of some kind. We think it has the meaning of wisdom or teaching or instruction. It's possible this song was intended to teach people something. And we know it's a song, the sons of Korah, at this point in history, these are the musical leaders of worship. It's a family singing, the um, family singers, and they wrote this for the director of music, so likely this was intended to be sung by a worshiping gathering like this one. Now, the original tune of this song has been lost to us in history, but modern writers have attached some melodies to these words that might sound familiar to you. The psalm says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, I'll make sure we get the picture of what's going on here because some of the tunes that have been attached in, in modern day, in, in, my, uh, in my opinion, they're far too sentimental and happy, you know. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul panteth after you. Hey, you know, you get this picture of a, a deer resting her head along the riverbed, and there's butterflies in the background, and it's all stitched on the pillow on Grandma's couch. Uh, this is not the image here. A deer gasping for breath is not a pretty sight. This is an animal gasping for its life. That's the image here. And the writer feels far away from God. And there's this, this, uh, this desperation in here. The, the psalmist goes on. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Right, the psalmist is not describing here just a bad day. He's describing the kind of darkness that consumes your soul to the point that you forget to eat. Some of you know what that is like. When you cried all the tears and you feel there are no tears left. And the psalmist feels abandoned and separated from God. And that's what makes the taunts of other people um, so difficult. These mockers, these skeptics say, where is your God? But you kind of get the idea that the psalmist is wondering the very same thing. God, these people, they see my circumstances. They know I'm a follower of you. They see the disconnect. And they're asking me, where is your God? And I don't know what to tell them. God, give me something to tell them. Give me something to tell myself. Where are you, God? This is a lament. An honest, raw, snot-filled cry out to God. That's a lament. More than a sinful rehearsing of our anger, biblical lament, biblical lament identifies honestly the pain, questions, and frustrations raging in our souls. 
And then the next step, the psalmist remembers. The psalmist remembers. What does he remember? These things I remember as I pour out my soul to you, God. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The psalmist says, I, I didn't always feel this way. There was a time I went to church and I felt God's presence and protection and power and now I feel only his absence. I used to feel joy, but no more. And then he gives himself a pep talk. He says in the next line, why, my soul, are you downcast? Who's he talking to here? Himself. He was talking to God, but now we shift that he's talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why, self, are you so disturbed within me? Again, he's giving himself a talk here. He says to himself, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. He's talking to himself. Anybody here ever talk to themselves? I do. I know you do. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> ever talk to yourself like before you have to exercise? Right, I, I do that all the time. Come on, Scott, you have to get out there. I, I, look, I know you don't want to do it, but you'll feel better when you do. Just get yourself off the couch and go. You got you to gotta, you, you gotta pump yourself up sometimes. And that's what he's doing. He's talking to himself and he begins with the dreaded word, why? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Do you ever feel downcast and you don't know why? Sometimes we don't know why. Could be because of our circumstances. Could be because, uh, because of a past trauma that still affects us. It could be, as Terrence said last week, something more biological. Could be a low serotonin level. Sometimes we're not sure why. Some people say, I don't know why my soul is so downcast. Why are you downcast? I know logically I've got all these blessings in my life, so I don't know why I feel this. The psalmist repeatedly asks why. He does it in verse 5. He asks why again in verse 11, and he never gets an answer. Instead, he says as an act of, a will, of his will to himself, put your hope in God. He's preaching to himself, for I will yet praise my Savior and my God. He talks sense into himself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a spiritual leader of another era who wrestled with depression himself, wrote these words. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Sometimes we can't trust the voices internally. Sometimes we can't trust what ourself says. We have to give ourselves a good talking to. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. The psalmist goes on uh, here. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He begins the section calling out these geographic references. They're all places in northern Israel, far away from the temple, far away from worship, far away from God. He's describing his sense of separation from God. And then he uses this beautiful phrase, deep calls to deep. 
the psalmist is describing where our deep needs meet God's all-sufficient presence. Within the roar of the waterfall, he says, God's might rings clear. As the waves and the breakers of trouble continue to pour over this guy, God strengthens him and saturates his parched soul. One of my favorite preachers from church history is Charles Spurgeon, but he suffered from depression his entire life. And this particular psalm, Psalm 42, was especially important to him for this reason. And here's what he said about the deep trials of life. Charles Spurgeon, great deeps of trial bring with them great deeps of promise. For you, much afflicted ones, there are words great and mighty which are not meant for other saints of easier experience. You shall drink from the deep golden goblets reserved for those giants who can drink uh, great potions of wormwood. Trials are mighty enlargers of the soul. Yes, feel the loneliness of life. Here's a dreadful deep for you to sail on and a, a, a tempestuous deep much to be feared for your little boat may easily be wrecked. But don't forget that there is another deep whose remembrance will remove you from the bitterness of your present sorrow. There is love in heaven toward you which will never grow cold, immortal and unchanging love. To my brothers and sisters who are going through a time of sorrow right now, let deep call to deep. Let the deepness of your pain call out to the deepness of our sovereign God. Notice the psalmist's faith in the midst of his doubt. He says, I say to my rock, God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Right? And notice, he says, why have you forgotten me? And who does he say that to? God my rock. This is a sad song, but there is faith throughout this. Must I go about my mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? They keep asking that, but God, you are my rock. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then here's the last line in the psalm, and it's a repeat from an earlier line. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Exact same words. We saw them in verse 5, this is how we close. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The psalm ends with this guy saying, setting his direction, his heart and his head toward hope and toward victory, and he's not there yet. This is not fully resolved, but he says in confidence, I know that one day, one day I will praise God. Lament is the prayer language for God's people as they live in a world marred by sin. It's how we talk to God about our sorrows as we renew our hope in his sovereign care. To cry is human. To lament is Christian. We must learn to lament. You can be honest with God. You can cry out an honest, raw, snot-filled prayer to God. You can let deep call to deep. You can remember the faithfulness of God in times gone by, and you can preach the gospel to yourself. 
because we need the gospel as much as anybody. So this week, let us practice the lost art of laments. Again, maybe one of the great gifts of these last two years is we have learned something a little more about laments. Over the next seven days, cry out to God for that area that you are most desperate to see him move. And let's see what happens. Let's pray together now. Well, God, I thank you for the raw honesty of the Psalms. In them, we find words that express what we feel and what we have longed, struggled to say. I pray that all of us this week would learn new levels of honesty and a deeper relationship with you. We cry out to you, God, our rock. We acknowledge today that we are desperate for you. And so, God, we praise you in the midst of all circumstances. We say with the lament psalms of resolve that you are the Holy One of Israel. You are our rock and our redeemer. You are good and your love endures forever. Your faithfulness extends to all generations. You are the God of promise. Great is your faithfulness. And this we pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together.